0: Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa Podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. A global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Asset map is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? Asset map is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listener's discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today I have Mark Sidow with me. Mark is based in Seapoint in Cape Town after his move to um He is a lifestyle financial planner with a really exciting history. He is vocal about pricing structures and super active on LinkedIn. Mark, lovely to have you here today.
1: Thanks, Louis. It's uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Congrats on what you're doing. Uh, I think it's a uh, it's much needed in our in South Africa, especially. Uh, yeah, and it's a pleasure to have a chat with you.
0: Yeah, and thanks for being here. So, Mark. I mean, you're you're super vocal on the pricing structures of financial planners, and you know, delivering more value. But before we get there, give us a little bit of a background of how you got into the industry. What were those first steps that you took?
1: I think I always kind of tell the story, and I think a lot of people can resonate with with how we get into this industry. Um, I, I was at at Varsity, and my dad was kind of like, "What are you doing with your life? Where are you going?" Uh I was working as a rental agent, you know, ma- making easy money. And he was like, No, you got to go see my friend. Uh so I went to go see this guy and he was uh the head of SBSC, center Bank Financial Consultancy. And he, he asked me he just asked me a simple question, what do you want from life? Uh I was twenty five at the time. So I was like, I want a nice house, I want a nice car <laughs> and I want a nice wife. And he was like, Well, I've got the job for you. You gotta come work as a financial planner. So I did like a month or two's training with the, the SPFC Academy. R- really just product stuff. No, no real actual training. Um, no real financial planning training, put it that way. Uh, product stuff. And then after that, they, they kind of dropped me off at, uh, at StanLib and said, cool, go be a financial planner. Uh, <laughs> which is like, okay, wow, wow. Okay. Um, all the, all the product stuff I'd learned happened to be uh, Liberty product stuff which didn't help me sitting at Stanlib because, you know, that's, that's the last company versus a unit trust uh, company or asset manager. Yeah, and, and that's really really how I started. Uh, started at Stanlib. Stanlib don't actually have a license to provide advice. Um, if they do have a lot of, which is a terrible uh, phrase our industry has coined, orphan clients, uh, they, they've still got an obligation to look after the orphan clients, but but they can't do it. So I was sitting at Stanlib uh, looking after the orphan clients, walk-in clients you know stand up at that point had a a massive orphan book another terrible word in our industry your book (laughs) which is your book of business is basically clients lives uh whittled down to sums of money um but yeah that that was my job to sort of re-intermediate these people uh and and go and give them financial advice can we pause there for
0: a second Marcus? I can only imagine how difficult it is having a conversation with a client that's essentially been neglected or haven't received any service and now you are starting to have that conversation. Firstly, to calm down a probably irate client and and then to essentially you know monetize this so that you can make a living as well. How were those early conversations with those orphan clients?
1: Uh, yeah, Louis, you've, you hit the nail there. It, it was, everything was on the back foot. You know, I got a phone up and say, Hey, it's Mark. I'm calling from Stanlib, and now they're like, "Oh, Stanlib, we haven't heard from you in in how long? How many years?" So so I'm defending, you know, like you know, I apologize. No one's looked after you, but but we're sort of here to correct that now. So so it was tough. Those conversations were hard. Like it it was a tough in, Um, but you know, I I think you you get a a thick skin pretty quick, and and you sort of you you figure out a script and you know what to say. Uh, and you deal with it, right? So yes, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Yeah. Going to see, see the client. See it, 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 I had a game plan. It was, like, okay, I'm going to call you. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to let you hurl abuse at me for, <laughs> for however long you need to. And then I'm going to try and get an appointment to, uh, to come and sit with you and, and sort of, uh, re you. Even at that stage though, looking back, uh, you know, the re Kind of speaks to what you said. Like I needed to make a living out of this. I I needed to earn uh, earn earn some money. So even then, I just I kind of I went for the low hanging fruit, which is which is also terrible looking back now. But but I just identified people who were who were in 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 a money market fund, and I just looked for alternatives. Right. So old school financial planning. uh, Let's go. Let's do a risk profile, Mr. Client. You're sitting in money market. You've been here forever. This is the return. Answer that horrible ten question risk profile that we used to use back then. Um, and then, what I did when I was sitting at Standard is I, I, I learned, I learned all of the unit trust funds that they offered. Um, I just went through all of the, the conservative, the moderate, the aggressive, and moderately conservative and moderately aggressive. So, like I, I, I feel like I knew quite a lot on the funds, um, which helped me in those conversations because it gave me. A bit of knowledge, I could speak to the different things. Not not enough knowledge, looking back, but it it gave me enough, right? I could sit there and say, "Cool, you're in a money market. This is what you're doing. You've been here forever. If you move to X, Y, and Z fund, there's the risks attached to it, and and this is what what your return could be." And looking back again, not fully knowing what those risks were, right? Um, you know, in my mind, a move from a, a money market fund back then to an income fund. You know, it was a logical move. Uh, low that they're both classified as low risk um, until until African Bank happened. I'm not sure if you remember that, uh, but yeah, I'd I'd moved a lot of clients from money markets to income funds, and then African Bank happened, and and a lot of people lost money, right? Lost money in an income fund. There was a 10% haircut. I'll never forget it. 10% haircut. Stanley called a big meeting, and then the next day they. They told us everything will be fine and then the next day they side pocketed like <laughs> ten percent of the fund as well. Oh, it it was terrible. Um absolutely terrible. Having to go to clients and say you've lost ten percent in an income fund, should I move my money mark? No, 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 it's fine. We'll keep it there, we'll ride it out. And then the next day they go and take I think it was actually more than ten percent, but they took all the assets that were linked to African Bank and they put them in the side pocket which clients couldn't then access. So yeah, it wasn't uh it wasn't great having those sort of conversations. But yeah, that that's kind of how I dealt with it. And you know th- th- those are some of the negatives, but the positives is that you you learn a lot in that sort of environment. Like like I said, I, f- I was forced to learn the different products, the different unit trust funds, how they work, you know, wh- what they're made up of, a- and you get exposure to a lot of different people, so it can build your confidence. I always admit that it was a great place to learn, maybe not learn all the right things, but but a great place to learn.
0: Yeah, I think we have to give credit to the large insurers and asset managers, it's it's a great training ground. I don't think all of them have figured out how to remunerate the advisor correctly, but you know, this is all about the evolution and to get there. And on your point around income funds, I've got a colleague that says your conservative client becomes a very aggressive, physically aggressive client <laughs> yeah. um, when these things happen. And you know, yeah. part of being in the market is that. Mark, yeah. looking back on those early years and with the knowledge that you have now, what would you have done differently?
1: So, let me tell you what I, I did do differently, uh, and and how I sort of justified the difference, right? So, initially, when I started, you know, commissions were still a, were still the norm, right? You know, you sell a, a fifteen, the fifteen thousand rand recurring premium investment, and you know, you've got two options: you go to an asset manager, or you go to a life company. The life company is going to pay you three and a half percent upfront on your premiums you know into perpetuity it's robbery right in the beginning so right up front i said you know i had a couple of guys that i looked up to at center bank who did incredibly well uh financially and and i remember sitting with some of them and they were like you know the move is away from commissions the move is to AUM fees so do the right thing don't charge don't put them into these products uh and and don't charge upfront fees rather Take AUM fees as, as and when commission. So that was my first sort of justification in my mind. Okay. Great. Mr. Client, I'm going to not put you into a, a endowment type product. Uh, I'll put you into a pure asset management product. And, and, and still to this day, that's my thinking. It's let the asset managers run the money. Uh, let the insurance guys look after the insurance product. So that, that, that was kind of what I did in terms of the move. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a big difference in earnings. Uh, and it was but again it was like well this is a long-term play you're doing the right thing for the clients Uh, no penalties you know no no clawbacks no arguments with clients when they need to access their money because you've sold you've missold them something for your own interest yeah I think one of the hardest things when starting in our industry is is how do you earn that living while trying to do the right thing because I, I think back then I wasn't delivering you know the best financial planning proposition if I looked to where I am now, but like you said, that's an evolution. But it's just very difficult. You know, you you, you go in and you earn you earn nothing. There, there's no salary. There's no anything. You you earn AUM fees. It's like fifty Rand <laughs> a month. Uh, you know, and then you still got to share that with whoever you work with. Take tax off. It, it's ve- it's very hard. The, the The remuneration mechanism is probably one of the biggest problems I think uh, for people coming into our industry.
0: So Mark, if I understand you correctly, you were saying, you know, what's the most important for the client Like to have access to the money and clear fee propositions, you know, and being the technical expert, helping them guide them through that process. And then over time that recurring income stream grew and grew and grew and meant that you could actually make a living, but the early days, it, it is near impossible because you're starting on, on zero. Um, what kind of, what were the next couple of years after you, Doing that, like, what does that look like?
1: So I was at Stanlib. I started in twenty ten, um, based in Stanlib. I'll never forget. It was right uh, like the soccer World Cup, um and I was like, this is the best job in the world. I don't have to apply for leave. I can just go to the games whenever I want. <laughs> so there is like the, the good with the bad. Like, I'm not, I'm not earning so much right now. But you know, I look at the guys in 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 the industry and the ability they is huge to earn um, and I get to take leave whenever I want. It was great. So anyway, that's just a little side story. So 2010, um, I was based at Stanlib until 20, 2013 and I was getting a bit frustrated um, because I wasn't, you know, I also started my, I think I got my CFP in 2013. So I then got some sort of exposure to comprehensive financial planning, whereas in the beginning it was just sort of selling investments. Um, so I was getting a bit frustrated sitting at StanLib. The clients that I saw weren't interested in, in doing everything with me. They kind of just looked at me as their investment guy. Uh, and then they had an insurance guy and a, and a, doesn't really have a, like, a financial planning guy. They just had individual people. So I spoke to my boss at the time and he sort of moved me. He, he let me work in tandem between StanLib and one of the Standard Bank branches which then gave me exposure to a whole bunch of different people who actually needed compre- comprehensive planning at that stage. Um, I did that for a year, and then I moved into a, a private banking suite uh, where we then worked with, with private banking clients. And that was delivering comprehensive, uh, well, supposed to be comprehensive lifestyle, uh, plan- well, not lifestyle, comprehensive financial planning, put it that way.
0: So more than just the investment component, you were looking at other pieces, you know, the insurance parts and that. Yeah. One thing that often comes up is the access that advisors that are tied to a bank have access to the, obviously the, the clients of that bank. Like, how was that approach? Like, was it really a kind of a cold calling reaching out to them or was it more inbound uh, saying, Hey, I'm a client and I need a little bit of guidance and financial planning.
1: So, uh, I would say it it wasn't cold calling or you're right working in a, in a bank, you've got access to the bank's clients working in private banking. You've got access to the banks, like second tier of top clients, right? You know, after private banking, it's wealth and investment. um, But you've got access to, to, to wealthy, wealthy people. And the private bankers, part of their mandate was that they had to give us leads every every month. And the numbers were were actually ridiculous, Louis. Like I think they had a target of like thirty leads that they had to provide each planner per month per private banker. So it it, it was it was good and it was bad because it's it's unrealistic to expect them to provide you a thirty leads. So they're just giving you everything, you know. The volume and Louis, quantity. Yeah. Do you have an RA? No. Okay, cool. Mark has a lead. He has an RA lead, right? So 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 you got a whole bunch of that stuff. But you also got access, like I say, to people with with a lot of wealth, which again is a good and a bad thing, because you start to view the people as numbers, um, and, and very quickly you you there becomes a disconnect with with the value of money. I think um, because you know you're working with somebody today who's maybe got a hundred thousand or who wants to invest, but tomorrow it could be a million, it could be ten million, it could be twenty million. You know the the numbers just stack up, and and then you start to earn off of the back of those numbers, which is you know something else. Uh You're earning a percent or half. with when I was there, it was like half a percent was the number. That that's kind of what you went in at, and it was fine. Everyone is doing half a percent, but yeah, you now you're earning half a percent of ten million, then twenty million, and you're just adding. You're constantly chasing assets because the more assets you get, the the more revenue you make. But it, it is a great place, again, a great place to learn. Because you are getting exposure to a whole bunch of different clients, a whole bunch of assets you can grow, but again, you're working, you're working for a bank, you're working for a, a corporate, um, and yeah, corporates have sales targets, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And,
0: and you touch a very interesting point, Mark, that concept of financial planners losing sight of the value of money. Cause we're dealing typically with large numbers, right? How how has that impacted your own finances? And you know, we don't have to get too personal, but has it had an impact in terms of how you manage your own money? Looking at someone, you know, with ten million rand or twenty million rand in an investment portfolio versus versus your own assets, kind of.
1: You're saying I don't have ten or twenty million rand in investment assets, Lou I'm <laughs> just kidding. I don't. In in the beginning, it was it, it, I would say negatively impacted me, right? Because like I said, I, I lost sight of the value of money. So. With uh, you know working in the bank, uh, your your income scales very quickly because you've got access to these 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 clients uh, with with sizable assets, and and with that the psychology that that, that you get exposed to is it's pretty negative because you you go from earning say example a hundred thousand one year to two hundred thousand next year to four hundred the year after you know these numbers it's not unreal to expect the numbers just to double. They, they literally can just double, you know. So you're again, your value. So what you're buying this year versus what you're able to buy next year is it's exponentially more. I'll, I'll remember. This is a bit uh, a bit private, but I remember one year one of my mates kind of said to me, like, Mark, nobody cares how much money you're earning, right? It's 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 not it's not a nice trait, and and that kind of hit home like really hard uh, with me. Because like I said, I'd lost sight of the value of money um clients' money you you're exposed to to all of this and also your own in terms of what you're earning and that, that that was one of the one of the turning points in in my career I think that that sort of pushed me away from that environment
0: yeah it's a punch to the gut, eh actually, when you think about your having your business hat on saying we need to target clients with more money and more assets, yet you can't remove yourself from that business you know that that mindset often spills over so it's an important point that you're mentioning you know, trying to remain in touch with the value of a person and not necessarily the value of money You yeah. mentioned one of the turning points are you able to share some of the other turning points in your career with us
1: yeah i think uh like personally that that was a that was a big turning point um but professionally like working in in the bank uh, i had a I had a lot of mentors um like th- th- there was a a good group of guys there, a lot older. They'd been in the industry for, for ages. Um, some of them were doing, like, in my opinion at the time, the best that they, they could do. Uh, and they were willing to share, which is also very rare in our industry, right? Uh, nobody wants to share. Like, well, I think that's changing now, but, but in the old school industry, nobody wants to share. Nobody wants to tell you their secrets because then you potentially could earn more than them or, or get hold of their clients. And anyway, um, I started to do things better from a planning perspective. So we had a, some tools at the bank, which, which which were semi-decent before they stopped. But, but I hit a, like a stumbling block in that I, I couldn't do more. Like I, I could do some planning, but if the planning didn't lead to the sale of a product, it was almost uh, irrelevant in, in in my manager's eyes or whatever it is, because you're ranked on sales. So that was a thing. It was like I want to do more, but I can't do more. People would sort of bring up and say, "Can't we pay you rather than you earn from our investments?" And and there was like a no. So it was like a bit of a wall the whole time. There was some entrepreneurial side which which I wanted to come out, but I couldn't do within the confinements uh, of the bank. And then the you know the last sort of turning point was after I left the bank, and. uh, Left a bank in twenty fifteen and joined AdviceWorks, uh, which was great. Uh, you know, they had some, some some really nice and still do cash flow cash flow planning software, which was, you know, now my, my selling point. You know, I'm I'm not gonna sell you products or whatever, I'm gonna sell you advice off the back of cash flow planning. It just coincided with a with a terrible time in the market. So my whole career leading up to that point, the equity market was in a bull run, right? <laughs> so I I didn't have to do anything. I could put a, a balance fund in front of you and you would get fifteen percent a year. And clients were like they love that and You're my as hero. long as Yeah, exactly. And I did nothing, right? But I took all the credit. <laughs> um and then I moved to AdviceWorks and then the markets sort of like like topped out. They just were went sideways for the next like three, four years. Which which I don't know what's worse. I think a crash is, is better because it's like immediate hard impact. Okay, let's deal with it. How do we move forward? But sideways, you're kind of like having the same conversation every year, like doing what we can. It's supposed to be better. It's going to get better. Meanwhile, I've got no control over whether it's going to get better or not, right? Um, but I've built a value proposition at this point on the back of that. So yes, it's going to get better. I know it is. These are asset classes. And if they do this and this, this is what's going to happen. And you're know, talking like a fund manager, which which I wasn't, but uh, I had a conversation with with a client who we'd been working together for, I think it was about three years. He was post retirement. I sort of, this is again, another another bad terminology, but I got him. I got him just before he retired, um, and and he had a like a decent pension pot at that stage, uh, and he was still. I think he had two two good years of the market, and he was fully invested, which was probably in you know, a terrible thing for him because he. You know, he had north of 17% a year returns in those two years. And then we just went sideways. And now he was used to 17% returns uh, going sideways. And every meeting, like he would call me regularly and we would have such horrible conversations um, post those two good years. Because he wasn't getting what he wanted, what, you know, the blend that I'd originally put together for him was delivering my value was was sitting on the back of that blend, which wasn't doing what it meant was meant to be doing, and every time I would just kind of speak to him, and it was like, "No, but the mandate is we've got to do this," He said we're going to do this." and I was like, "There's nothing I can do." And like this is not me, it's the market." And then I even felt myself saying, sure, mark uh so so in the good times it was you, but in the in the not so good times, it was the market, and I thought there's got to be a there's got to be a better way to do things um." from a planning perspective, from an earning perspective, there's got to be a better way. Like, I don't want to be having these conversations all the time. Like I'm prepared to not take the credit when the market runs really hard, to not have to have these, these horrible conversations when the market does nothing.
0: So I'm wondering what part of that conversation was the client's expectation in terms of what was being delivered and what is just the industry norm. You know, we get, and, and even as clients, you know, we know what to do when there's a market correction. You sit tight, it's easy, but no one prepares you for a sideways market for five years or 10 years in an SA equity component. So I guess my question is, what were your clients expecting when they were engaging with you? Was it that like, hey, I'm here to deliver better returns for you at that stage?
1: Yeah, so I think like, you know, I'm I'm pretty open about, they expected what I sold them or told them in in the years leading up to that. And, And my value proposition, was investment returns and these are the fees that I'm going to charge. I'll never forget, I remember sitting with the, you know, my my proposal was always just a like an investment proposal. I remember the everything there, right? Like the the fees that this guy's going to get this much and this one's going to get this much and, and I'm going to take this much uh, and, and here's the blend and you can expect this much return. And you clients not go down to that graph and if they look there, If that return looked acceptable to them, then they were comfortable with paying your fee. So now you've, like, I conditioned them to think that they will get that return. And for that return, they're going to pay me that fee. So, you know, I have to take responsibility in that. That's the value that that we put on the table. And and so that's what they thought. That's what they expected. Those are the conversations that they were used to having. Uh, And those are the conversations that I was happy to have. (laughs) <laughs> when the markets were, were doing well. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. So how do you decouple that? How do you separate investment returns from advisor remuneration?
1: Sure. So I think it's it's really hard for existing clients that you've now conditioned to think in this way. But it's, you know, I then went about exploring w- what's out there. Uh, and it just it happened. Uh, Alan Gray had a webinar and they had Brian Foster on. And he was talking about the evolution of financial planning, and and this just like resonated with my whole career. Like this point, this point, this point, this point. And I was like, yeah, that's me, right? And like the whole thing was the separation of services that we provide. At that point, was okay. So I'm not just responsible at that point for the investment returns. You know, there's a there's a planning component, uh, there's an implementation component, and there, there's an investment management component. At that stage, I was still sort of Saying, okay, well, I deliver all of those. So we do the planning and, and we sort of get paid for the planning, we implementation, potentially get paid for implementation, and then investment management and we'll get paid for investment management. So it was just breaking down the the process at that stage uh, along with the potential remuneration structure at that stage. Yeah, it's still not, still flawed, I guess, if I look back now. But yeah, that, that, that's kind of how I started breaking it down. Then.
0: Sure. so that was a nudge in a direction to say hey, there are other options out there like what are the other things that you explored at that time so you were listening to brian and, and him preach about um the future of financial planning like what are the other resources that you were looking at at that stage
1: um yeah so brian was a was, was a huge influence um a I, I podcast back then i guess uh so uh, michael kipsis was 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 massive, uh, still is massive. Like, you know, he's, he's just got so much wisdom and knowledge and does so much in, in, in the industry. Uh, we, uh, like I said, when I joined Adviceworks, they, they they've partnered with, with Old Nature Wealth and they integrated wealth planning, which, which is also like, you know, cash flow planning, my first exposure to cash flow planning, uh, w- which is also great. You know, the, you can, I don't think you can hang a value proposition just on cash flow planning. Like it fits in somewhere. It's, it's way better than what we were doing before. But you know, the exposure to that and, and Old To Wealth have some really great coaches that, that, that come, comes along with that. Yeah. So, so there was that exposure. But I think the big thing was like, I wanted to separate, I wanted to separate what I do and what I can control, uh, from what I, I can't control and, and what I don't want to do. Uh, so. If I look now, you know I'm I'm very clear with with clients that that we look after you and and your life plan and your financial plan, and yes, there's an investment plan, which is sort of driven by your life plan. Uh, that's your life plan will dictate what your investments need to do if they need to do anything, and then uh, somebody, not me, will fulfill that role. You and I will select who that person will be. Yes, I'll put recommendations forward of of who I think is is great at doing it. But ultimately, it's your decision along with mine. uh, I'm not not skirting the responsibility there, but I'm not responsible for managing the money. And when we have the conversation with, with the portfolio manager or the asset manager, whoever it is, it's also on those terms. And I like to position it to the client that I'm sitting on your side and you and I are sort of interviewing the people that are going to manage the money. Whoever's going to manage the money, you get a return objective based on the client's financial plan. So if the client needs 5%, 10%, 12%, whatever it is, how are you going to deliver on that? Can you deliver on that? Is it, is it reasonable? Is it not reasonable? And then sort of talk us through your process.
0: So, Malka, how has that changed the discussions that you now have in sideways years or negative years with your clients? Like, what is the difference between when you were remunerated purely on the assets
1: yeah. So look, um, in a, I think the accountability, like this particular client that, that I mentioned, um, you know, I kind of had to say to him, okay, so in these sideways negative years, what, what else can we do from a planning perspective? Uh, how can we, what other levers do we have available to pull? And, and it was hard even for me because, you know, traditionally the only lever was get a better return. Um, and now I had to say to him, well, there's no better return at the moment to be had, uh, and there's too much risk to go in search of a higher return. What can we do in your life? And it, and it was it so was re- even saying it now, like I feel like I feel a bit I don't know insecure almost in that. Sure, now I'm going to say, well, change your lifestyle um, because I can't deliver on the return. But that's basically what we did, and it it was he was super receptive to that conversation. I remember him and his wife came in. Um, this was the first time i insisted that the wife come in because she needed to know what was going on and i said well what else can we do guys if this if this if these returns carry on with the cash flow planning now this is what's going to play out this is the reality of the story and they kind of said well you know maybe we could tighten the belt a bit now that sure wow yes let's look at that guys can we do that you know we had a detailed budget uh, I love doing detailed budgets, uh, especially with cash flow planning, because it kind of, it gives you, there's no room to hide. You know, w- when it gets to how much you spend per month, the guy who says 50,000 or the guy who has a land item, 50,000, you know, you, you, you can't hide in that. You know, so, so it's like, okay, go through the detailed budget. We can cut here. We can cut here. We prepared to cut here. And then having those conversations, like, I left there thinking, wow, this is amazing, right? These, these people are open to it. They're, they're willing they're willing to tighten the belt. And I think that these are the types of conversations we have to have. Um, maybe in hindsight, if you could have those conversations with clients before they invest their money, uh, it would be super beneficial. So go through the planning and say, great, we're targeting this. But what are we going to do if we have three negative years? Like, what can we do? Just, just so that it creates some sort of expectation that could happen. I'm not saying it will. I'm not trying to scare you. I just want to role play that scenario and say, what are we going to do?
0: You're kind of preempting those negative years because they are coming. I guess that's one of the only things we can guarantee that there will yeah. be a negative return at some point. Mark, I want to just rewind a little bit. There's a There's a sense when you speak to a lot of financial planners that they don't want to do budgeting because it's either too intrusive or it's too much work. How do you tackle the actual budgeting exercise with a client? Can you maybe talk us through that?
1: Yeah. So in my in my process, I um, have an introductory call. Okay. Are we a good fit? Uh, do you have a problem that I can help you solve? Yes, no. If yes, we go to discovery meeting. And then, then you know, I like to get all the information. I right? have to talk about you and your life and everything. And then sort of back that up with the numbers. So in that meeting, you know, I'm, I'm pretty honest and open about it. And, and I, I want to know, I want to know the numbers, right? Like, uh, if you, if you're, if you're involved and committed in your planning, then, then we need to know the numbers. So I'll just kind of speak to you about it. So I'll ask you, do you have a budget? Yes or no? If yes, is it detailed? Cool. Can you bring it up? Like, bring it up on the screen, share it with me so I can have a look at it. And also, like, if clients aren't willing to share that information with you, how invested are they in their planning? That, that's kind of my approach. Is we need this detail so we can help you build your plan. We can help you do the things you want, you say you want to do. Um, so let's let's sort of have the conversation. But yeah, we we've got, we go to the extent where sometimes people are like, yeah, I really have been meaning to do the budget. Um, I'm so glad you you brought it up. I just had, don't have the time. then we'll start off. Uh, shame I remember my my previous assistant Judy. We used to get some of our clients to. They would send us three months bank statements, and and we would do well. I say we, Judy would have to do it, but she would go through it, and we would just bucket things. Part of part of the service to clients, uh, and then we would sit with them afterwards and say, okay, well, this is what we've taken from your spend. Uh, how does this resonate with you? Again, there's no room to hide. You know, you can't say we're showing you you're spending X amount on on your food. I can't spend that much on food. Well, that's what the numbers say, guys. That's what you're spending, right? Um, but also with, with the, the cash flow planning we use, it's, it's plan line item. You know, it's, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. Everything is detailed and everything's linked to an asset. It's, it's linked to a, a stage in your life. It's linked to your kids expenditure. So you, 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 can turn those things on and off. So, so you get, you get a really good picture of where your money's going, how long it's, it's going to go there for. Um, and, and after a certain point in time, is there going to be more like, is it going to free up cash? Is it not going to free up cash? I don't like just the lump sum number. It, it, it doesn't help. But but it is, it is work for clients. Um, and it's, you know, from our side, it's something we're prepared to do. We'll sit with you. We'll have a, just a budgeting meeting if you want. Bring your statements. Let's go through. Let's identify what you're spending. It's, it's part of what we do, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's part of that financial organization and also awareness. There's this concept of, you know, show me where you spend your time and your money and I'll tell you what your values are, yeah. so I'm wondering like how does that look like when you've gone through someone's goals and what they want to achieve, and now you look at the budget, and those two are kind of completely worlds apart
1: no, I think for me it's uh it's 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 plain to see I think that it's harder for the clients to see it right like like we we can position the stuff there and it, it's it's not I, I can talk and communicate to, to most people or things right, so it's uh putting it out there it's like you know, like what you just said, you've said this is important, but this is where you, your money is going. And sometimes you don't even need to say that. You just have to just put the stuff on, on, you know, online and let them look at it. Um, and, and they'll identify with it. You know, that that's when you've, you've got to do some work as a client, right? And again, it's, I think there's this conception or perception about financial planning and financial planners that we have to do all the work and, and we come do all the work and we present all the solutions to you. And and then it's done but it's you know it, it's a, it's a, it's a two-way street uh there's a lot of work that that clients have to do uh that they have to be prepared to do and that's also one of the tough things is clients have to be invested in their planning you know you you can tell me it's important to do a b and c but but if you aren't prepared to spend less here or or, or save more whatever it is well then how important is it really to you you know uh and and we've got to have those conversations it's not just about us coming in and making everything happen because we, we can't do that, right? Uh, it's just a relationship. Yeah, I'm wondering at the end of it.
0: those 30 leads that you were supposed to get <laughs> from the, from the bank, like how many yeah. of those clients were willing and able to actually work with you, you know, <laughs> compared to where you are now, if you ha- would had to take a stab on kind of how many clients you're taking on board now versus the kind of 30 leads that you were getting, oh. like what would that number be roughly at the moment?
1: No. So it's, it's 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 a way less, Um, you know, just on those thirty leads we were getting per per private banker per month. It was a lot, right? Like just trying to manage that lead system was a lot. But what what made it even worse is that the clients sort of felt obliged to meet with us, so they weren't just leads; they became appointments because now they've got a relationship with their private banker, and the private banker said, "Oh, just meet with Mark. He wants to talk to you about retirement." and so I've got to go sit and spend half an hour talking to you and, and you know you don't want to do anything anyway.
0: So, Neither party actually <laughs> wanted to be in know, this we, we, we both
1: don't want to be here. Like I can walk in, walk into the little meeting room and I can just see, I'm like, oh, really? Am I going to sit and have the spiel? But you do it anyway. Now it's, I would say, look, we're probably, you know, we've got growth aspirations within the business where we're trying to, to grow at... at three new clients a month, which is, which is it's three doesn't sound like a lot, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty tough in a, in an online world, in a fee-based world, in a, in a niche, uh, of, of the female executives in finance, um, who don't know you, uh, but yeah, so, so, so we're we we're trying to grow at, at three new clients, uh, I think capacity wise the amount of work that, that we do and that we're prepared to do and, and given the hours that we're able to do, uh, th- that's all we can really grow at for now. Uh, we do have an existing client base that that, that we're looking after. Um, you know, so, so it's a thin line, I, I, I guess my, my days are pretty structured. I'm, I'm very structured in terms of how I do things, but you know, i I've, I've got allocated hours for LinkedIn and for clients and all of these things, um, and then I'll sit there and and you know sometimes I've got to remember you know we have to look after the existing clients as well, right Because um, their planning is just as important, and they've sort of stuck with you all this time versus you know trying to engage online uh w- w- with prospects
0: yeah, thanks for sharing that mark and I think the the point is that you don't need to get a hundred new clients every year; it can be a smaller number because. You know, you're adding tremendous value to those clients' lives, and in turn, they're willing to pay you a fee for that. I'm wondering how did you how did you structure your day? Kind of, what process did you go through to say, "Hey, this is the block that I'm going to work with uh, on LinkedIn, and this is the block that I'm just actively not going to work." Like that balance between life and work is something financial planners tend to struggle with.
1: Yeah, so I think uh, a big a big influence. Then, like, structuring my day came from, um, uh, Robin Sharma's book, The 5 a.m. Club. That, uh, I think I, I started with that in just 2019 or 2018, uh, just doing the mornings. Um, and back then, my, my day was very haphazard. It was like, uh, I see a client here, try squash some planning in here, maybe do a little bit of social media there. And then when I moved to Cape Town, my plan was to, um, uh, fly back to Joburg once a month for a week at a time. So then I had to I had to get structured, right? Because for that week that I was going to be in Joburg, all the planning had to be done uh, a week in advance. So we built this massive structure in place. And that really gave me all the structure that, that I needed. So get up at top of four, do the morning thing, which is all my personal stuff, um, and then start, start at eight. Like I, I'm a, a morning person, so I can't work late into the evening. I don't want to work past five. Uh, but eight, eight to nine is my, my LinkedIn block every day. Uh, every day I do LinkedIn then. And then I have to actually go and close the browser <laughs> so that I don't look at it. Um, when, when I need to do my planning slots. You know, once a month, uh, Marcus and I, my assistant, uh, slash planner, you know, we sit and all, all our meetings are planned in advance for the, for the upcoming month. And we then go and sit and say, okay, cool. So I'm seeing clients today. I need the planning done the week before from his side. Then I can go put that literally time block my calendar. Everything is, is time blocked. That way nothing falls through the cracks. Uh, there's no last minute planning. There's, you know, it's my worst when I would get to a meeting and it's rushed. The planning's rushed. I don't have, I can't deliver on the promise that I've sort of the expectation that I've, I've set for the clients. Uh, so the, to avoid that, we time block. Time-blocked post-planning, pre-planning, summaries, everything's time-blocked in the calendar.
0: That sounds great. And I'm wondering, you know, distractions and interruptions tend to be the norm of most people's days. Like, how do you manage incoming distractions or even let's say it's a client call, right? Kind of how do you filter that process given that your days are so structured?
1: So clients, for me, you know, our, our proposition is, you know, we put forward depending on, on the service level agreement, there's there's either four fixed meetings or two fixed meetings. But outside of that, uh, you know, we're available to you twenty four seven. You know, we we've got a, a good example now is client advisors going through a divorce, um, it's very messy and we've been issued with the subpoena to provide documents. You know, we've provided all these documents to her attorneys, but now we need to provide it again to his attorneys. So so when client things come through, my expectation on the practice is uh, kind of drop what you're doing and, and do it. You know, if an email comes through, it takes two minutes to respond to an email. I can respond and say, Hey, Louis, uh, I got your email. I'll, I'll do it whenever it is. Uh, but just respond, right? L- let you know that I'm on it. Like the subpoena thing, it's drop what you're doing, uh, manage it. Uh, and, and the same expectation with, with Marcus. It's emails, just acknowledge the client. Uh, you don't have to address it straight away, but let them know that they're there. So, so clients. I don't view clients as distractions. Um, I, I get what you're saying in terms of like the structure, but you know, the, the clients aren't distractions. Distractions. Their, their life is is what we're here to to help them manage. Um, and so that, that that's that's what we got to do, right? Yeah, so uh, goes
0: back to your earlier point where you said this is the the lifeblood of your business. These existing clients, and you have to keep them happy. So it's great to hear that that yeah. is your that is your approach. Mark, if we think about the future of financial planning and the skills that we need to be work on and working on, and the things that we need to be consuming, and you know, in terms of knowledge, like what are those things that you are working on at the moment?
1: So, I think like the for for me, understanding the human behavior, why people make financial decisions the way they do, is important. it's it's really understanding the person behind the money. Uh, that, that's kind of my focus. Uh, we're doing a bit of coaching. I think there's inadvertently we we do deliver coaching uh, in the work that we do, and I just want to make sure that I can do it correctly. Um, know the sort of tools that, that that we've got available. You know, previously we people referenced us as having like a toolkit. You know, like a like a belt and it was like you've got your ra and you've got your this product and that product and all of the stuff that you can bring out when you need it so now it's kind of like all right well let's understand understand the person right so, so what's their money story uh how has money shaped them why do they behave the way they do how is it making them show up in the world today these are the that's the new toolkit that i think uh if you've got at your disposal will really be able to help clients uh achieve the things that, that they say are important to them.
0: So you've taken off the product toolkit and, you know, put on the psychological toolkit where you can have these discussions about the history and how that shaped them and also, you know, the impact that, that there are now.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's uh there, there, there does seem to be a shift in, in the industry or profession, whatever we want to call it, but you're yeah, understanding the client, you know, the, the client is the client, not the client's money right so shape your toolkit around the client and you'll be able to better help them ultimately that's what we're here to do right you know my my thing is i want to live an amazing life and the way that that i'll be able to do that is if i help my clients live an amazing life so if i can do that for them inadvertently i'm going to be able to do the same for myself which means we're we're all we're all living good lives right
0: so that first question of what does an amazing life look like to you actually was quite impactful but it sounds like the answer was very diff- would be very different now as opposed to
1: ten oh, plus yeah. years ago. It, it's actually so funny that you bring that up. You know, I've got I've got what, what is my my perfect life written on, on my I work from home now on on my uh, I've just used our sliding doors as as whiteboards. Um, but it's there, right? It's it's what schools we want to send our kids to. How many days a week we want to be I want to be working uh the holidays we want to take the number of clients that, that i actively want to look after it's all detailed uh, and everything everything that i do is focused around that um you know i don't know who said it but you know you've got to say got to say no to the wrong clients and things to be able to say yes to the right clients and things you know, so the, this you know i think financial planners typically have a, a scarcity uh, mindset you know I, I don't want to say no just in case just in case he's got something you, know, you never know he he could have a big pension fund that one day i'll get you know um and it's like no does that fill my mandate does that help me achieve the things i want to achieve you know you, you've got to say no to it uh, to kind of get to where you want to be
0: and mark do you believe we're in the right industry for you to be able to tick these life goals
1: sure yeah uh definitely i think it's it's we may be a little bit early uh, in, in in what we're bringing in terms of what clients, because clients don't necessarily know what it is that's lifestyle financial planning or what the realm of what we can help them with. So there's a lot of education that has to go on there, but definitely there's no other industry that I think that could help me achieve the things that I want to achieve in life. And given the freedom, the flexibility, the ability to, to talk to clients, to you know, to get involved in their lives, um, and help them unpack these things, uh, it's it's like super fulfilling work. Um, and and it, it's cheesy, but you know, there's a, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Like it's it's really true. Like I feel like you know what we do is it's an awesome it's an awesome job, and it's got all these perks on top of it. Uh, you know, like when is the last time you put a leave form in? So, it's definitely the right uh, industry and career for me.
0: Brilliant. Mark, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your passion. You can see it, the way you talk and and the way you describe working with your clients and the impact that you make. And I definitely can attest that your clients would say exactly the same thing. If people want to reach out to you and get hold of you, what's the best place to do so?
1: Uh, Yeah. Thanks, Louis. Thanks a lot. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation yeah i do talk a lot so it's, it's nice and uh, natural for me uh, yeah you can go to my website marxado.co.za uh, otherwise linkedin uh Sado, CFP professional quite uh, vocal on there uh, yeah i think those are the two best places to to uh, link up
0: brilliant thank you so much
1: mark cool thanks louis